Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. This morning, we are in part five of a series in the book of Romans. If you didn't know already, we're in uh, this, this series called Breakthrough, Live by Faith, Advance with Grace. And last, last week, Pastor Chris tackled chapter three of Romans. And I wanted to start this morning with a bit of review because I think it's important when you're studying an entire book like we're doing, it's important to know where you've been, right? It's important to know where you are and then where you're going in the book. Um, because that will allow us to see the, the entire picture and the context of, what, of where we're at. So um, I believe that, and you guys would probably agree with me, that the book of Romans plays a very large role in our theological understanding of sin, right? How it separates us from God, and how God has saved us from that sin, and how then we should be living as a result of God saving us from sin, Paul also talks a great deal in Romans about uh, the law versus faith and how salvation is for everyone. And we we learned that last week, both the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, Paul wrote Romans, of course, to the church in Rome and uh, had a mix of both Jewish and Gentile believers in that church. And believe it or not, those two groups had a little bit of trouble getting along, right? And we see that uh, Paul comes down hard on on them uh, on many points. Um, so Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome to correct the wrong attitude between the two groups, um, as well as to put into writing everything regarding salvation that Paul had been preaching about for so many years. And at this point, he'd been preaching for 20 or 30 plus years. Um, so this was just a culmination of that, of, of that preaching, uh, getting it into words. Um, so uh, let's start at the beginning. Chapter 1, right, introduces Paul's main theme which is what we see in, in chapter 1, verse 16, and this is what it says. Uh, and this is what, what we would call the main theme of, of Romans, of the whole book. And Paul is saying here, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for, uh, for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then the Gentile. And that's Romans 1, 16. So how many of us today can say, like Paul, that we're not ashamed of the gospel, right? That as we go into our workplaces... As we go into Walmart or as we go, it says in, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, as you go, you know, go and make disciples. And so as we're going, we, we need not be afraid of the gospel or ashamed of it. Because I, I'm reminded of uh, God, Jesus saying that, that if, if we're ashamed of him, then he'll be ashamed of us before the Father. I'm like, wow, that is some hard truth. But we should be gospel-focused in everything that we do, and we should not be ashamed to share the love of Jesus with people because it could literally change their life. So then in the rest of, of chapter 1 and into verse 20 of chapter 3, Paul is basically setting up the point that we're hopelessly lost in sin without Jesus. Would you guys agree with me there? That without Jesus, we're hopelessly lost in sin, right? And um, the Jews believed that by following the law, that that would be enough for, to atone for their sins. But Paul is saying that even the law itself is an indicator of the fact that, that in, on our own, we can't obtain salvation. And then we see here in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, Paul says this, um, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and, and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
Uh, so that kind of sets up chapter 4, and chapter 4 is kind of a continuation of chapter 3, right? Uh, we see Paul is, is using uh, Abraham as an example of faith, what he's talking about all in chapter 3. So really, this, this is kind of old news because we just learned some of this stuff last week. Um, but here, Paul is using the example of Abraham. Um, so in chapter 4, Paul t- starts talking about Abraham being made right with God. Not through works or following the law, but, but Abraham was made right because Abraham believed God. So the question I want to ask this morning is, why Abraham? So, so Paul, obviously being a Jew himself, being very studied, he could have picked anybody you know, in, in the Old Testament as an example of faith. You know, He could have picked Noah. He could have picked Moses. He could have picked King David. He could have picked you know, the, the prophets. He could have picked, you know, Elijah or Elisha. He could have picked any of those, but he chose Abraham. So why Abraham? And he's using Abraham as an example of the fact that we can't earn or achieve right standing with God, but that our righteousness comes through faith alone and not by works. And, and we see this truth in other places in scripture, including uh, chap, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, and it says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God not by work so that no one can boast. So the thing about Abraham um, is that Abraham was, is considered the, 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 the patriarch, the father, the founder of the Jewish nation. So he was kind of a big deal in, in the Jewish society. He was revered as, as the father of that society. And, and we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 to read about Abraham. And this is what it says starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, now hold up. Many of you are wondering, I thought you were talking about Abraham. It's the same guy. So in, in Scripture, you see it so, so many times. Whenever God would mark somebody and would change their direction, he would change their name to identify them with a new identity. So we see that time and time again. We see that with, with Abram and Abraham. We see that with Sarai and Sarah, which is coming up. We see that with Saul and Paul, right? And we see that because God is marking them and saying, I'm going to give you a new name because I'm, I'm marking your life for a purpose. But the Lord said to Abram, or Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai. Uh, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. And that's Genesis chapter 12, uh, starting with verse 1, and it goes on a little farther than that. But uh, the first point, and uh, kind of a no-brainer, but the first point this morning that I want to make is that Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. So God says to, to Abraham, leave your country, right? Travel far, far away to a distant land, and I'm going to bless you for it. But God doesn't stop there, right? God does not stop there. He says, oh, and by the way, I'm also going to make you into a great nation. And I think if I was Abraham at that point, you know, before God said, I'm going to make you into the great nation, I think I I would have been okay with that. I would have been like, okay, that's cool. But then he goes on further and say, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And here's, here's the problem with that great nation part. At this point in life, Abraham, or Abram and Sarai, they, they hadn't had any kids yet. You know, they were childless. 
And get this, Abraham, did you guys catch that? Did you guys catch how old he was when he set out? 75 years old. Can you imagine being 75 years old? And actually, um, Sarah was 65, you know, which is, she's younger, but not, you know, she's still past the age of childbearing, right? Can you imagine being 65 or 75 and not having children? And then God's like, hey, you're going to have a kid. And not only that, but out of that seed, you're going to be turned into a great nation. Can, can you just think about that for a minute? How crazy is that? That is, that is just crazy. And, and yet, that's, that's God's promise to Abraham here. He says, I'll make you into a great nation. And what does the scripture say? It says that Abraham simply believes God. So I can imagine God tells Abraham to leave the country, and he'd make him into a great nation with countless descendants, and we see that, right? Abraham, then Isaac, Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel, becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then from there, it turns into this massive nation. And I can just picture Abraham replying to God. He says, okay, when do I leave and where do I start walking? See, it, it wasn't a debate for Abraham. Like, God spoke and Abraham moved. And, and later on, we see in chapter 15 of Genesis, God once again affirms to Abraham that his descendants would be as countless as the stars. And he makes a covenant with him, which is cool to know that the God of the universe is making a covenant with man. Which covenants, if you know anything about covenants, they were, they were unbreakable. And God was affirming with an unbreakable promise that this is going to happen. And it says that Abraham believed God and he, he simply took him at his word. And I just want to say to our church body this morning, we need to be a people that takes God at his word. You know, there's an old hymn that I, that I grew up singing and, and maybe many of you know this hymn. And it just came to mind as I was preparing this message. And, and, and the hymn is called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And, and, and it starts off, it says, Tis so sweet to just trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. You know, if God said it, if God is saying it, let's believe it, just like Abraham. Let's be Abraham and believe God when he's speaking to us. And, and, and that, that could be many of ways, that could be the written word of God, um, because we know that God speaks to us through his word, but, but I also believe that there's, there's another type of word, and that's, that's when God is speaking to you directly about a, a situation that is specific. Um, that was what we would call the, the, uh, the rhema word of God, or the spoken word of God. You know, the, the awesome thing about stepping out in faith in obedience to God, is that, that God is where we are currently, but he's also equally present where we're headed and everywhere in between, right? Because if we think about who God is, God exists. Does God exist in time? God does not exist in time. God exists outside of time. So God is, if you can imagine the timeline, and we're stuck on this timeline going this direction, right? We can't go back in time. Um, the, you know, if you, if you watch Marvel movies, they'll, they'll tell you otherwise. But, but you can't go back in time. Um, you can only go forward into time. But God, God exists. God is so powerful and mighty that he exists outside of time. So he sits above the timeline. And he can, see, he can be at the, the beginning. He can be at the end. He can be anywhere in between. So that as we step out in faith, we make that first step, right? God's going to be there. We make another step. God's going to be there every step of the way. 
And that means that it's his strength. That means it's his provision. That means it's his protection. Every step of the way. Every step. And you know, I think a lot of times God is asking us to make that first step. And I've seen it, seen it, seen it time and time again in my own life that, that if you feel like God is, is, is leading you somewhere to do something, that, that as you make that first step, it's like God is waiting, that first step of faith. And then as we make that first step of faith, God's like, okay, I can work now. And he begins to work. I mean, that, that, that happened when we moved here almost four years ago. Uh, four years ago, next month, first of next month. And, you know, we took that step of faith, and it was a huge risk for us. But God was with us every single step of the way. As soon as we made that first step, he's like, okay, I can move. And it was so cool to see how God worked and, 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 and formulated everything for us to be able to move because we were obedient to his leading. All right, next point. Abraham was credited righteousness. Abraham was credited righteousness. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 and 5. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, wages are not, wages, wages, that's not a word. Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So let's define some terms. Let's talk about the word righteousness. So what does it mean when scriptures say that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteous? So what does that mean to be righteous? And furthermore, why do we need it? So righteous, the word righteous is essentially being of right condition or right standing. So possessing righteousness before God means that we possess a right condition or right standing before him. And how many of you know that because of sin, you know, sin entered the world through Adam, therefore we have a sin nature, that that righteousness was stripped away from us? That because, because God is holy and because we sin and fall short, that we're unholy? So we need to possess this righteousness this morning because it's impossible to stand before a holy God without possessing that righteousness, that right standing you know, God is a good God. Would you guys agree with me this morning that God's a good God? But also, He's a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And, and for those who don't possess a right standing with God, when, when they stand before God, it, it's not going to be good for them. It's not. See, we need to come to a realization this morning that heaven and hell are very real places. And if you look in Scripture, you see Jesus warning about hell over 70 times in Scripture. 70 times. Because it's a real place, and Jesus didn't want us to go there. If a person doesn't possess a right standing before God when they step into eternity, they can expect an eternity separated from God. So let's look at our next word. Credited. The word credited. And credited means to pass to one's account. So here, uh, I, lo I looked up the word in the Greek using a blue letter Bible, and the, the word credited here is, is the word logizomai. Can you, can you say logizomai this morning? Bless you, bless you. <laughs> and it literally means to pass to one's account. So this word credited, 
Let's talk about employment. And this is the, the point that Paul is trying to make. This word credited, it's not like when you have, you have an employer, right? And you work for your employer and you've set up direct deposit with that employer and you work uh, a cer- certain amount of hours or if you're salaried, you get a salary pay, you know, bi-monthly or whatever. And because you worked for that employer, you earn that wage and they credit it or they put it into your account. That's not what this is talking about. The word credited here is more like you have a relative or a close friend and you have Apple Pay or Venmo. Everybody know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, Apple Pay, Venmo. What else is there? Apple Pay, Venmo. Um, Zelle. What is it? Cash, cash me? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know them all. But, but you have that, that service and just completely out of the blue, they send you money just because. You didn't earn it, right? It was a gift. That's what, that's, what, that's what it's talking about here. It was given to you. You know, my, my mom is, my, my parents are givers. And every once in a while, I'll get a notification that they've sent us 20 bucks or something. Just because. Just because they love us and it's a gift. And I want to say to you today, I, I like money. So if, if you want to gift me with that, you just go ahead and just send that right over. That'd be great. I'll give you my phone number. You can Apple Pay it. You can sell it. Just whatever. That'd be fantastic. I'd appreciate that. Uh, but my parents are givers, and they give. That's just who they are. And that's what, that's what crediting righteousness means here. And the righteousness of Christ, and I threw that Christ in there because that's the important part, is that it's not our righteousness. It's Jesus Christ's righteousness, right? His right standing with God was gifted to us. Like, we can't earn it. It was gifted. And our only part is to, to play is to accept the gift and to believe. And see, we, need just, we just need to exercise our faith by accepting the gift that God provides. And that is the righteousness that Jesus provides to us. And if you think about that righteousness of Christ, it's so cool. Because we are literally robed with the righteousness of Christ. So that if, whenever God looks at us, he doesn't see us. What he sees is the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And that's what makes us acceptable to God, is, is the righteousness of Christ that, that we didn't earn, but was gifted to us. And there's a book that I recently read called The Heist, and it's uh, How Grace Robs Us of Our Shame, and it's by author Chris uh, Durso. And, and he makes the point that, that Jesus pulled off the greatest heist in the history of all heists, because what he did is he completely robbed us of our sin, our guilt, and shame, and he robed us with his righteousness. So if you stepped into a relationship with Jesus today, you don't have to worry or feel guilty about those past mistakes. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. They're like, man, I messed up so many years ago. And they have that guilt and that shame. And that's not from God. God does not bring condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God brings conviction. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to say, hey, you're better than that. But he doesn't bring condemnation, right? He doesn't. And, and so many of us are walking around feeling guilty for the things that we've done in our past. But if you're under the blood, you're under the blood, right? You are under the blood. Romans 8, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. 
says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation. It's under the blood. And I, I heard it said uh, just like last week on Facebook, and it was so, so good, that you don't have to plead the blood of Jesus because Jesus pleaded his blood for you. It's a done deal, and we're covered. And it's such an amazing thing to, to, to live free of, of sin and guilt and shame because we possess a, righteous, uh, a uh, relationship with Jesus and we have his righteousness. All right, next point here. Abraham received righteousness through faith, not by upholding the law. Abraham received righteousness through faith, not by upholding the law. So at verse 9, Paul asks the question, is this blessedness, and this blessedness he's talking about is, is the righteousness that we obtain, right? Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also the uncircumcised? So what does that mean? Well, I'm not going to go into detail about what that means specifically, but if you, wonder what, if you want to know what circumcision is, you might do a little bit of research and, and find that out, or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But um, at any rate, that's not, I'm not going to go into detail about what that means, but being circumcised, um, essentially, Paul is saying here that is the righteousness, this righteousness that we receive, is it only for Jews or also for Gentiles? And if you don't have, if, if you're not Jewish by, by, by uh, nature, you know, if you don't have that, that ethnicity, then you're a Gentile. So basically, I would say everybody in here is probably in the Gentile category. And there are Jews that are ethnically Jews, but, but they believe in Jesus, and those are called Messianic Jews. And being circumcised, having circumcision, essentially meant that the Jews were set apart as God's chosen people, and that they were committed to following the law that God gave them. It was, it was a marking. It was a setting apart. Because as they went into the promised land, there were other nations there. And God set them apart from those other nations by way of circumcision. And, and Gentiles, or the uncircumcised, were basically everyone else that wasn't a Jew. Paul is saying here that, that Abraham received righteousness through faith before the covenant of circumcision. So you can, you can read it a different way. Uh, Abraham received righteousness through faith before he became a Jew, essentially. So he received that before. And the implication of that is that essentially Abraham is not only the father of the Jewish people, but also everyone else who has received righteousness that comes through faith. So now, not only is Abraham the father of the Jewish nation, he's the father of our faith because he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness before he, he became a Jew, before he received the covenant of circumcision. In verse 13, 13, can't talk today. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received this promise that he would be the heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes by faith. Are you getting it this morning? Righteousness is through faith, not by works. So quit trying to earn your salvation. Like if you're saved, Jesus already did that earning for you. And it's crazy to begin to even think that we can add anything to our salvation. Or that by attending church, tithing, serving in kids' church, serving on the worship team, whatever, that by doing things that will make God pleased with us. Here's, here's the kicker. God is already pleased with us. 
God is already pleased with us. And, and the things that we do, we should do out of love for God, not so that God will love us more. And, you know, I think about God being a father to us. And, and you know, I have kids. Many of you in this room, you have, you have kids. And you understand how this works, that I love my kids not because of anything that they would do for me, like all the hugs and the kisses and the wrestling and, and whatever, the, the, the sweet little cards that they make. I love them because they're my kids. And nothing that they could do could change that love that I'm crazy mad about them. I'm crazy in love with them. I'm madly in love with them. And that's how God views us, that we're his kids, right? The Bible talks about us being adopted, that we've been adopted and grafted into the family of God that we've, that, that we've, been, uh, we've received this, this, this co-heirship with Christ. So we're, we're God's kids, and God loves us because we're his kids. God can't love you any more or less than he already does. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. So now the things you do, you should do out of love for him. And that's the right mindset with it. And that changes everything, I think, in the way that we serve, the way that we live our lives, if we already know who we are, right, then that changes everything. And this is my last point. So Ruthie, you can come on up. Usually I'm the one sending the text to Ruthie, hey, go on up. So I felt like I needed to say that from the pulpit said so last point here abraham kept hoping even when there wasn't a reason to hope abraham kept hoping even when there wasn't a reason to hope romans chapter 4 18 verses 18 through 21 says this it says against all hope abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall, your, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. He had power to do what he promised. So now think about this. Did you see how old at that point? Or did it say? Yes. How old was Abraham at this point? 100. He was 100 years old. And he received that promise when he was 75. 100 minus 75, that's 25 years. 25 years. And at 75, and 65 and 75, and then 90, 100, at 65 and 75, there was, an, there was already not a lot of hope for Sarah to have a child. So then fast forward 25 years. Sarah was 90 years old. Can you imagine being 90 and having a child, or 100 and having a child? That's crazy. That's crazy. My parents adopted five kids out of the foster care system. And the youngest, I, I did the math, 
the youngest, whenever the youngest leaves the house, my parents will be like in their 70s. That's crazy. That's super crazy. Even more so to have a child at, at 90 or 100 years old. So I would say at times that the situation for Abraham seemed hopeless. Abraham and Sarah, they weren't getting any younger. Right? So can you imagine having the kind of faith that Abraham had to believe God for a miracle of a child at his age? Like, that's crazy faith. Like, why in the world would Abraham believe God for that? And I think it's because Abraham knew and understood who God was. The Bible talks about God having all power, that he's omnipotent, that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And he, is all, he has all the power. He has all the sovereignty. He can do, if, if he said it, he's going to do it. Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And I, I don't know what kind of promises of God that you're carrying today. You know, I believe that everybody in this room in some form or fashion has a promise from God that they're carrying. Whatever that is to you. You know, maybe it's the promise of healing. Our, our uh, prayer list for, for, for needs for healing is like this long. You know, maybe you're praying for healing from whatever, you know, from, from sickness or, you know, from, from disease. Maybe it's, it's that promise of a child that's wandered away from God and you're believing that they're going to run back to God at one point in their life. And I'm reminded of a passage of scripture that says that if you train up a child in the way that he should walk when he's old, he won't depart from it. Maybe it's the promise of children. Maybe you're like Abraham or, or Sarah and you're, you're, you're praying and hoping and believing for a child in, in, your, in your marriage. Maybe it's the promise of a spouse. Maybe you're a young adult here or, or you're an older adult and, and you're praying and you're believing for a spouse. Like, what are you believing God for? What is it? But whatever it is, we just need to understand this morning that God has the power to do what he promises. The Bible talks about that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. God is, Jesus has made a way for us to be adopted. And because we're God's kids, it's just like, you know, if, if my child has a need, you better believe I'm going to meet it. Because it's my child, I'm going to meet that need. So we just have to have faith and believe. And it may be, you may be like Abraham or Sarah. You may have to wait a little bit. But I think waiting's good. The Bible talks about, so many times about waiting on the Lord. And there's this anticipation, this expectation that, that as we wait, we just believe with expectation that God is going to move. And that's faith. Even, even when you can't see it, you're believing for it. That's faith. So I want you to, to bow your heads this morning and close your eyes.